Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! If you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball! Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of All Nat. I am your host, Natalie, but most people call me Nat. And today I'm super, super excited for the guest that I have on today. I'm going to start with ladies first. And um, I have Bree Singleton with me who is a writer and also a broadcaster. You'll you'll hear her featured on some Atlanta radio stations. Um, She created a a nonprofit, so I'd like for you to speak about that and tell us what that's all about. She's a fan-sided fellow. Um, She's just doing big things. She also hooped. (laughs) and one of her her articles that I think is great and was also noted by the athletic um is one of their top articles of the year um she's the hoop and so you know you were a point guard right (laughs) I was I was I was super short thank you thank you for having me so she brings vast knowledge to the show I'm so excited to have her on I don't like to use the words up and coming but she's up and coming and you should definitely definitely if you're not already following her follow her check out her work she's so intelligent and I love as you all know to see black women doing their thing so Bree, thank you and welcome to the show absolutely thank you so much oh wow what an honor that was an awesome awesome introduction like I feel so honored that's awesome but uh thank you for having me yeah like uh this is pretty cool I'm, I'm glad to be on especially on with our other guests but uh yeah, my name is Bree Singleton. Uh, as you said, I- I'll definitely accept up and coming. That's that's never bad. Uh, I'll take up and coming a broadcaster. I do a little bit of everything, I'll say, in Atlanta here. Uh, music, sports, entertainment, uh, passion for people. As you mentioned, uh, I started a nonprofit during the pandemic. It's called Free Game Program. I got the hoodie on right now. Uh, it's a nonprofit to pretty much help develop the all-around student-athlete and prepare them for whenever that ball stops bouncing, because, you know, whether we like to admit it or not, it does uh, for all of us. So we want to be prepared for that next moment, but super, super excited to be joining you guys today. Again, thank you so much for having me and a big fan of the show. 
Oh, my, my pleasure. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, we have Nakaya's Duncan, who I'm sure everyone knows him. Um, <laughs> I remember when I first joined Twitter, and um, I, I don't think I was there from the very beginning of Nakaya's journey, but I, I still got in on, like, the early end, you know, and to watch the way that you've grown. Honestly, I'm a big fan. I... I admire you. I just think you've done such tremendous work. You're so brilliant, such an amazing mind. And one of the things I really love about you is that I truly believe you're an ally of women. You know, some people say that, um, but I feel like you say it, you do it, you show it in your actions. Um, and that means a lot to me. I'm sure it does to Brie as well. So, but aside from being an ally of women, he's just a brilliant basketball mind. You can find Nakayas everywhere. Um, he writes for Basketball News. He has a number of different pods that he does. One of my favorite is You Late with one of my stores, Jasmine Watkins. So um, he's super popular. You'll find him, you know, featured on really prominent um, shows and podcasts and He's a, a star already and, and continuing to be a star. So, Nakaias, thank you and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm going to echo Bree. Thank you for the introduction. Wow. Like, I need you to narrate my life at this point. This is so <laughs> tremendous. <laughs> hey, follow me everywhere and do that, please. That's what I'm saying. Like, thank man, you. you I'm like a fan of my some, people. <laughs> I, I respect, like, you need to have like a morning app or something, like affirmations on deck. Like, we, Tap into the Didn't bag. that just build you up so crazy? Yeah, I was like, man, I'm ready to oh, like, I am. That's me. That's me. <laughs> like, wow, I guess I am doing that. But no, thank you. Like, this has been a wild journey over the last year and a half. Um, doing a couple pods again. You late with Jasmine. Jasmine's the star of the show. She is incredible. Um, also, the dunker spots. I can nerd out with basketball stuff. So that's cool. I'm just happy to be here. Ready to talk some hoops. Yes, thank you. All right, so let's get into this. Um, as you guys know, this is a Warriors-focused podcast, so I generally follow the league through the lens of the Warriors who we're matching up weekly with and then also get into other NBA storylines. But one of the big NBA storylines impacts my team, and that's that Stephen Curry went down with um, uh, an injury. Thankfully, it doesn't seem to be as like bad as maybe some thought or it could have been, but it is a foot sprain, um, sprained a ligament in his foot, and it is going to keep him sidelined for what we think a few weeks. So hopefully he'll be back to start um, the playoffs. But nonetheless, the dubs are probably without him to finish the rest of the season or most of the games for the regular season. So I'd like to start there, if that's okay with both of you, um, and talk about what that means in general for the Warriors, but also just like their standings and possibly the playoff picture. So, um, Bree, your thoughts since you were like a point guard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, thought of, I thought the circumstances around the injury were just so wild. I think when we all saw the play, we were like, oh, man, Steph's hurt. But I, I didn't think it would be to the magnitude that where he's out indefinitely. And, you know, whenever I see that word, I'm kind of like, well, my ears kind of perk up because I'm like, OK, right. what exactly does that mean? Um, but I think, I think, uh, it's very interesting for the Warriors, just as they were starting to get everybody back, they, they, they crumble apart just again. And, uh, Steph, uh, you know, I, I do believe he'll be back. Hopefully he'll be back to himself, but, you know, like you said, having them out for probably the rest of the regular season is interesting and it'll be up to the rest of the veterans on that team to kind of 
and even some of the younger guys, it'll take them to kind of push them to the playoffs and see what they're really made of. So I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on the Warriors because they're never a team you can count out, obviously. Um, if they have stuff on the floor, they have a chance. Um, but yeah, I think I think it makes things much more interesting out West. What do you think, Nikaias? Um, I think it's one unfortunate. And as a neutral viewer, it was kind of weird to see the discourse around the actual injury. It was like Marcus Smart diving for a loose ball should not surprise people. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't like where that was going. Okay. But beyond but beyond that, I echo Brees sentiment like this is a huge loss for the rest of the regular season for them. It is also a unique opportunity for the younger players, particularly Jordan Poole, to kind of continue his flow. Like he's been playing very well as of late. Yeah. And one of the, I guess, I don't know if it wouldn't be underrated to you, but I guess on the national scale, underrated story, subplot of the season for the Warriors is like, okay, what is what is Jordan Poole's role on this team? Because he got a bump in minutes while play, waiting on Clay Thompson to recover. Right. He does his thing. And then Clay comes back, he goes to the bench and he loses his rhythm. And then you start him with Clay and you got some things going there. The Milwaukee game was incredible for the Warriors. And now Steph is out. So it's like, okay, now you probably right. have to be the primary at this point. So just seeing like how he's able to adjust to these different roles, if he can find a flow, what this means for Clay offensively. So I think this is going to be, you don't want Steph out, but this is an important stretch for the Warriors to see, okay, what role guys really work here. Yeah, you know, with Jordan and and Clay and that whole dynamic, I think that's going to be a question the Warriors are going to have to address this offseason. Um, you know, nothing confirmed, so, like, I can't say that it is, but there, there are rumors, you know, that, like, that there were issues between, like, Clay possibly like the team maybe wanting him to come off the bench and he was, like, not for that. And I, I think, I think, that wasn't really about Jordan as much as that's the way the Warriors handle things with injuries. As you saw, Dre came off the bench. Steph has coming off has come off the bench before with injuries. So I think that's how they like to do things. Um, so I can imagine a player not wanting to do that. But I don't know Clay. I've never interviewed him, but I have to imagine seeing the way that pool is playing that he's probably more uncomfortable with the idea of coming off the bench because there's someone waiting there who possibly could, you know, I, I saw someone tweet out yesterday that Jordan Poole's our third best player. And I think at least right now, there's a case for that, right. To be made that he is, doesn't mean that like, I think we need to give play another season, like next year before we really evaluate who play Thompson is as a player. But I think, I think Jordan has made a very strong case that he's their third best player. Um, and arguably could maybe even move up to second best, though the role that Draymond plays is so unique on our team, that's a little hard. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation, definitely something that they have to figure out for this season, but also long-term going forward. Um, Nakaias, you mentioned something about the conversation around Marcus Smart, and I just wanted to touch on that very quickly because um, whether, like, you know, you die for loose balls and I know that like you hear a lot of people say this is what's taught I was taught this it's not dirty and talking about intent do you think like it's a dangerous kind of play to do that and like because there have been there were conversations around whether people should be able to do that maybe it should be outruled that you should get like a a a tech or a flagrant for it do you think that's the case or do you think like it should just be a part of the game and it is what it is uh I think it should be part of the game like loose balls and like I've seen, I'm sure you've seen the conversation around around like the charge calls, if that should be a thing. Like, 
I get the frustration about it. And obviously when guys get hurt, that just kind of adds fuel to the fire with the conversation. But like, it's basketball. Like, I don't think you can outlaw outlaw everything physically. And it's weird because people talk about the lack of physicality in today's day game anyway. <laughs> so it's like you, you can't complain about defenses can't do anything. They can't touch these guys. MJ right now could average 60 or whatever you want to call it. And then when you have a guy like Marcus Smart who defends one through five, plays on 10 all the time, dies for loose balls, takes charges, and now it's just like, well, hold on. This is a little bit too physical. I don't like this. We got to pick a side. Is it Uchiwali or is it one mic? I don't know. Yeah. It's definitely right Uchiwali. And I'll tell you how we know that because literally there were two, I don't know, know if there were consecutive plays, but they weren't too far away from each other. So there was the diving play. And then there was kind of like the drop kick play on the other, on the other play. And I thought that play, if anything, deserved more of a conversation because that just wasn't a basketball play at all. Meanwhile, you're diving on the floor. You're literally diving for the basketball, which like you said, some people are taught, some people make their careers off those kinds of hustle plays, doing those things that nobody else wants to do. So, um, but yeah, you can see those two conversely where, okay, he's trying to get the ball here. And on this, on this other play, you can see there's a, there's a difference there. So I definitely didn't like that discourse uh, around the play, but you know, when you have a player as polarizing as Steph um, being the victim of it, it's always going to get to that point, unfortunately, especially on Twitter. Yeah, I, I don't think it was going to really ever be outruled. But of course, I didn't like it because it was my guy. So of course, I have a little bit of, of, of bias in there. Um, we definitely talked about the karate kick after. So in Dub Nation, that was definitely a covered discussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know. My timeline is a little more in uproar about Steph. I was like, did you might see that other one, though? That was kind of crazy. No one got hurt on that other one, exactly, right? But exactly. that, that's really what it was. So. Okay, we move on from Marcus Smart and his antics. Thankfully, Steph is like gonna be able to play in the postseason. Um, so but like the Warriors right now are in third. And you know, if they can win like, you know, four or five games during the stretch, which I think is actually a tall task, I think they'll probably keep third at worst, drop to fourth, because people just kind of look and say, Oh, these teams are just two games back. But don't think about the fact like those teams have to play games. And unless you think they're going to go undefeated, the math is still somewhat in the Warriors' favor. They don't have a lot of games that they can drop. Um, and so, well, there's there's a two-part question. Like, where do you guys think the Warriors will end up finishing in the standings in light of their situation? And then if they do drop, like, how far can they drop before you think it's an issue for, like, title aspirations? So I'll this time I'll start with Nikias and then I'll go to Free. Um, just looking at the standings as of the recording right now, they are two games up on Utah. Mm-hmm. And man, the conversation about Utah has been weird all year, but that's a whole nother podcast. Uh, <laughs> I could see, I could see the Warriors slide in the four. I don't think they go further than that. I don't either. I'm intrigued by what the brackets are going to look like, though, because on one hand, they stick in three. Then you're looking at Minnesota right now, some young team. And if they win that, then you probably get, well, you didn't get to Denver or Memphis. They're like Memphis is a young team. Like that's that's tough. I feel like for them, sliding to four might work better for them. Really? So they are now. Are you assuming that um, Minnesota drops back into seventh because like they have a really tough schedule to. Mm-hmm. Well, if they slide to four, they'd be playing who? Oh, they would be playing whoever's the eighth. No, they'd be playing the five. They play whoever's at five, and that would be the Mavs to start. Yeah. 
Yeah, they play either Utah. Yeah, they play Dallas. Dallas. Do you like that matchup with with Luca being first for them with Steph coming off an injury? Uh, I would look. I think there's a pace battle that the Warriors could win in a series against Dallas. I don't know if you want to get into a drag out switch fast slug fast because then it's just shot making with Steph and it's shot making with Luca and Luca's been on a tear in 2022, so that would worry me. But I do think the Warriors are just a better roster. Right. So I think they would win that. And then just in terms of matchups, like I think they, maybe this is a hot take, I think they match up better with Phoenix than they do with the Memphis. Okay. No, I've heard people say that. So, but they'd see Phoenix most likely in the second round if they drop the four. Okay. And I think if you're looking at title aspirations, like Phoenix is the better team. And like, just full disclosure, I would probably pick Phoenix in that series. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of like what each team does well, I think I would trust that versus getting to a track meet with Jaw and just okay. the athleticism gap there. I would I would be a little bit worried about that because they have the athleticism and also some size up front. So in a series with Memphis and the Warriors, would you also pick the Grizzlies? Uh I don't know. <laughs> I think that's where I was at right now. I was going to say, like, I'm super, super intrigued by Memphis. I don't know. I, yeah. I'm, I'm scared to speak almost because, like, what they're doing is amazing. And still, at some point, it's like people are refusing to acknowledge it. And I'm slick one of those people because it's just like you're so unsure, but they're so young and they're so fast and they're, they have so much energy and so much burst that, you know, a depleted team or a team that's facing injuries or just starting to get healthy, you know, you might not want to run into them, you know, as soon as you can. So I agree, like, sliding into that four slot might be okay uh just because you know like you said the pacing uh is not so much of an issue with with Dallas but uh I think uh I think I like the Warriors in a in a in a series with Dallas first I think that that might behoove them honestly if the Warriors are like fully healthy like let's say Steph comes back and like he looks fine post injury right so mm-hmm. if he comes back and they're healthy and they're like looking the way that they should look mm-hmm. um would you take them in a series versus the Grizzlies or would you pick the Grizzlies? Cause what gives you, aside from the Grizzlies being a young team, what gives mm-hmm. you pause to maybe say like they would come out of that matchup or go really far in the West? I don't really have Memphis coming out too far in the West, just because like I said, there's so many other seasoned teams who have just been there before. And the best way to be prepared is just to have done it before. Um, okay. And they're like, they're riding high right now, which I really, really do like, I don't know what they're, the rest of their schedule looks like uh, out the West. But um, anyway, I do think uh, that's the only thing that really gives me pause right now is because I haven't seen them in some of these bigger scenarios. And a, a healthy Warriors team has done this several times, even with their new additions. It seems like everybody just gets with the program. And so to see them healthy and, and coming out of the West, like I, I think, of course, I would still choose Phoenix probably, but I, they, the Warriors are still scary if they get if they get healthy at the right time. Wow, both of you picking Phoenix over my squad. Okay. <laughs> I, I've seen the national conversation. A healthy Phoenix, so. a healthy, fully healthy Phoenix. <laughs> They've been a buzzsaw, man. It's... Hey. They've been looking good all year. 
all they, year. They so. have been. I hear you. I'm not even gonna push back against y'all on that. <laughs> it's, it's I feel like I'm being tag team here. No, okay. no, 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 never. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, obviously it's a lot of ifs for the Warriors. And whenever you have a team that has more ifs, I definitely understand anyway the caution that someone would have picking against them. But for me, I think, you know, there's an interesting stat that I always love about this team, but Clay, Dre, and Steph. In every series that they've ever started every game, the three of them, um, they've won every series. They've also won an away game um, in every series that they've ever played in. So very experienced team, but they do have a, a lot of new pieces. And I, I think their, their home record is actually really, really good versus their away record. Um, so I know there's some that have the mindset of, well, they don't care. Just let them get healthy because they're not afraid of like away games. But I, I believe that's very true for the core. But I think we have a lot of pieces that do need to perform well for them to have a chance. You need Andrew Wiggins to be well, like who has kind of gotten lost right now in things with Clay returning. So you have Andrew Wiggins that needs to play well, not like you'd like him to. He needs to play well for this team to have a chance. I, I'm actually not that worried about Jordan Poole. He doesn't look to, to be afraid of the moment. So I think he's going to be okay. But Wiggins is a piece that we need to play well. And I think giving him always the most favorable circumstances is going to bode well for the Warriors. So I, I do think it would be good to have at least a, a home court round in the postseason. And, um, you know, I, I the, the, the away record has a little noise in there because there were a lot of games that they were away that Steve Kerr chose to sit people and things like that. So I don't want to overread too much into it, but I, I do think they have like very favorable circumstances at home. So I'd like them to have like a home, uh, a home series. I don't want them to drop out of four. And um, I, I do think though, if they are healthy, I do think they're the, the team to beat. I think in most of those matchups, you can debate who's a better player, but I think they would have the best player in the series in most of those matchups, despite the incredible year Jaws having. And I don't want to take anything away from him, but I still think Stephen Curry is the best player on the court um, versus the Suns, versus the, the, the Grizzlies, and maybe arguably versus the Mavs. So I usually lean to the team that has the best player. Um, and then I think we saw what the, the Warriors look like healthy without Clay. And I, and I think we saw that at the beginning of the season. So if they can return to that team in the postseason, I like their chances. Absolutely. And you talk, we talked about those young guys. I think uh, the Warriors have an edge having young guys who are playing alongside guys who have done it several times. Like the Grizzlies, okay, Ja's going to do what Ja's going to do. But I can't say that everybody else on that squad is going to rise to the occasion because, you know, they haven't done it. So, you know, we'll see. I think I do think that's a great point, though. I have one more question about the Grizzlies before we move on. Like, we only saw them last year in the postseason, um, and I think they won one game versus Utah, right, in that mm -hmm. series. So now that it's their second year, and teams are probably taking the Grizzlies more seriously than they did last year. Not that you shouldn't take any team seriously, but I think teams are probably taking them more seriously. What do you think, how do you think Jaws going to handle, like, when playoff defense is keying on him? Because I've seen him struggle sometimes with double teams, Nakai. So, like, what are some things that you think that teams could do? Or, like, how do you think that may affect him, like, going into the postseason? I think that's really the thing that has me stuck with Memphis. Because they've been really good all year long. The offense has been good, though a lot of that is transition-based. Uh, 
the one half court thing with Ja has been the trap because like you can't duck under against him anymore. Not because he's turned to this knockdown shooter because the three point percent is still in great, but if you duck under a screen, he's just using that space. Like all right, if you're gonna play eight feet off of me, two dribbles on at the rim now since you can't get a hand on me. So you can't do that. You can't play drop for similar issues. Switching. I don't know if I want my big man dancing with John Morant's face. He's gotten better at that. So I think the traps are really the thing because you get the ball out of his hands, like who is their best passer beyond Ja? Like it's probably Kyle Anderson. If he's on the floor, you're shrinking the floor. So like that dynamic is something that you'd have to look out for. Okay. Yeah. I I, I think aside from them being inexperienced, that's what I think. I think that teams are probably going to be able to take Ja out of the game a little bit. Um, and I just don't know how he's going to respond to that. He might respond well, but seeing it for the first time, I remember when the Warriors played Portland, not actually not even just the Warriors, when Portland played, it was New Orleans in that series. And that's what they did to Dame. And like, <laughs> he was just like, I'm not used to seeing defenses like this. And it told, I mean, they got swept in that series. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the Grizzlies are a better team than those Pelicans teams. I mean, those Blazers teams were, but I, I think it'll be interesting to see. All right. So I know that you both kind of, it sounds like, would have the Suns coming out the West, right? Um, yep. If not the Suns, who else could you see coming out the West? If not the Suns, I'm intrigued by a healthier Denver. I know that's later on our later on our uh, our docket, but if they can get healthy at the right time, that's interesting as well. But if it's not the Suns, I do like Golden State, especially if they're anywhere near healthy. Like they, like I said, their health and the the younger guys, especially if they get Andrew Wiggins into the into the flow of things better here. The way they've been playing all year has been pretty phenomenal, and they've withstood a whole lot of different tests. Um, so they might uh, end up getting a home court advantage the first series. I do like them. Uh, like I said, the experience and just the the depth in the West doesn't really worry me as you get down to the lower seeds. Um, so I think they'll I think they'll be okay. Uh, you've had an ACL injury before in your past, three, Twice. right? Twice. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Same le- same leg or once uh, once in eighth grade and then once my senior year of high school. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, after that, I was good. It was crazy. <laughs> so, I mean, so you can actually relate to Jamal Murray coming back from um, this type of injury. Like, I think the reason I give has like, I'm always a little hesitant when people talk about um, Jamal coming back or even MPJ. Um, back injuries are a little like unpredictable, but uh, ACL generally speaking, you don't always see the performance of the player kind of return right away to what they once were. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, do you expect him to be able to have a huge him? I know he'll have an impact by just being on the floor, yeah. but do you expect him to really have a huge impact that can help Denver coming off that kind of injury? Not as far as carrying a team, but you do have to game plan for a player. When, Like you said, when he's on the floor, you kind of have to adjust anyway. So I think just having the threat of him out there on the floor uh, kind of spreads the floor a little bit for them. Um, but like you said, uh, I think he'll have to t- have some time to obviously get his wind up under him. Um, all those things that kind of come with coming off an injury like that, getting your confidence and things of that nature, as we've seen, like with the Clay Thompson, it takes time to adjust. 
Um, but I do think, like I said, as far as the game planning uh, standpoint, that they become much more interesting um, if either one of them are on the court. So uh, I think they're a sleeper team for me if they can get a little bit more healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I agree that like it's going to take some time, but I think just as far as looking at the game, I think it gets more interesting from there. Okay, Nikaz, I, I do want to hear what you think on this too, but I just have to ask, how did you tear your ACL so young the first time? What were you doing? All right, so <laughs> it, it was crazy because I would always look at the other girls and they were the ones that they were tearing their ACL, they were much bigger than me. I was a really, really small kid. And so I never really thought that it would be an issue for me. But what happened was like my uh, my knees, like the way I was born, my knees were just super close together. There's supposed to be a little space here to okay. give. And my knees were just really close together. So uh, like when when there's contact, it just kind of slides and you know, that ligament pops. Um, so I when I tore the first one, um, I didn't know it. Like I was just backpedaling for a steal. I jumped in the air and I was like, oh, that kind of felt weird. But then I got up and I couldn't walk. Um, but the second time I knew for sure. <laughs> and so it's it the doctor really told my parents, like after I told the first tore the first one, that there was a good chance that I would tear the second. So it's just kind of sometimes how your body is set up. Sometimes uh Women uh, face a lot of uh, ACL injuries because of the way our hips come in when we land and things like that. So it's kind of tricky, but thankfully, uh, science has improved so much to where both of those injuries were six months injuries, six month injuries for me, and I was back pretty quickly. Whereas, wow. you know, if it happens, you know, years before, like a Cheryl Miller, it ends a career, you know. So right. the technology has definitely advanced so much to where uh, ACL is not as scary as it used to be. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm glad that you recovered and that we, I mean, even though you didn't go like, you know, professional level with sports, yeah, I'm glad I that you were able to continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Nakaz, what do you think about the Nuggets? Because I hear a lot of people talking about how dangerous they can be if they get their guys back. And I'm just not moved because it's more so I just, I don't think, I just have a hard time embracing like people missing most of the season, coming back from injuries and becoming like a real threat which we're going to talk about the East too, but that's sort of how I feel about the Nets too. But um, I'm curious, what do you think about Denver? Um, I want to get there with like dark horse contender because Jamal Murray is really good. And the shot making that Michael Porter Jr. brings is a huge boost to that offense. So they lean on Jokic a lot. Yeah. A whole lot. Like they lean on, on him a lot anyway, but without those two guys, like everything's going through him with handoffs and post-ups and stuff. And so having someone that could just say, all right, cool, I will just shoot over you because I'm 6'10", with whatever wingspan, or Jamal Murray just faking the pick and roll, like, that would help. I don't think – one, I'm just unsure that Jamal Murray's going to be back. And so right. that gives me pause. And then beyond that, MPJ coming off of this long layoff, you have to watch the back. And also, him getting into game shape also means him getting back used to NBA speed and playing defense. And that's kind of been an issue with him. Like, I'll be worried about throwing him into a playoff series where, all right, now you have to make a bunch of backline rotations. It's like, oh, this is already a weak point. And so that's just a lot to thrust him into. And if you're looking 2-7 right now, it's him against Memphis. So uh, I would be a little bit concerned about him trying to meet Ja at the rim. That's a weak side. Gotcha. So I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can get there. Okay, so outside of the Suns, who else would you give a chance to come out the West? Um, I think the obvious ones like Golden State, if they're healthy, like they can make the run beyond Phoenix. Um, Memphis intrigues me. If we're going like dark horse, dark horse. Can I just talk about the four or five real quick? Like, yeah, absolutely. One, like Zach Lowe was the first person I heard bring up Dallas as like a dark horse, and I just didn't see it. I was like, I see Luca, but I just don't see 
more than like a second round ceiling with them. And then Dallas became an elite defense out of nowhere. Right. Like, okay, that's cool. And then they make the Kristaps trade. And I was like, eh, I see what they're doing, but I don't know how Spencer's going to look. I don't know what Dallas Breton's going to do. And Dallas Breton still hasn't really done much in Dallas, but Spencer Dinwiddie looks like the sub all-star version of himself here. It's like, okay, right. so they have a good defense. They have an obvious superstar. They have a secondary guy in Dinwiddie. Jalen Brunson's been good all year. And they've been without Tim Hardaway Jr. for most of the year. And it's like, huh, maybe they're a little bit better than I thought. Mm-hmm. And in Utah, people just don't respect Utah at all. And like, Never. I get it with the playoff woes no. and stuff. I don't need that. But, like, I feel you. <laughs> I'm not moved. Like, I, I feel you. But I'm just like, man, they, they've been the best offense in the league by a sizable margin this year. You always fight the good fight for you, so I respect that. Like, I just, like, I... Donovan Mitchell has been a really good playoff player throughout his career. Quiet as kept. Like, they... If they make enough shots, they can get there. Like, I feel like they they have some potential. I wouldn't choose that, because I just don't trust the... (laughs) But I'm just, I... I'm just like, for me with Utah, I was like, at least consider the positive with them. Like, I don't think they're going to make the run either. So, like, the conclusion's <laughs> the same, but it's just like, oh, Utah don't care. And it's like, no, like, they have, like, Donovan Mitchell has averaged 30 in multiple playoff series. Donovan is good. Conley's good. Like, Gobert is good. You can hate on him if you want to, but, like, he's not the problem on defense. Like, it's just, I don't know. I just want Utah to get a little bit more love than they do. If Utah and the Mavs end up being the four or five matchup, who who do you see winning that series and would home court matter? Because they both have a chance to be four or five, it looks like, in my opinion. Uh I probably lean Dallas right now. I think they go seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was gonna say Dallas specifically right now how they're playing since the Kristaps trade like they've been trending up where they look they look much better so especially if they get home court I think that goes seven but I think uh whoever gets home court might take that yeah I mean I think they just had two losses which weren't ideal yeah. but they they definitely look a lot better and aside from like all the things Kid has been doing which it pains me to give Jason Kidd credit for anything aside from like all that he's been doing Luca is just playing better right than he was in the beginning of the season which probably has more to do with his conditioning so um you have those two things going for Dallas so I like Dallas in that matchup but this is probably one of the times where like my lack of respect for Utah is not allowing me to give them a really fair assessment but I do I think I would like Dallas in that matchup. Um, I don't like Dallas in a matchup versus us. I mean, I think it'll be like an annoying series, but I still think the Warriors would win. And if they're if they are really looking to get out and finally win, like Luca win his first series in the first round, I don't think that they would want the Warriors as a first round matchup. If I'm looking from the the Dallas Mavericks perspective, but I could be wrong. Those those are my thoughts on that. Um, all right, so let's let's move into like some of the games the Warriors have this week without um, Steph. So they they they're gonna be facing off against the Heat, and it's actually the second night of a back to back. So it's kind of hard to discuss that matchup because so far this season, Kerr rests Otto Porter and Clay Thompson on second nights of back to back. Well, I shouldn't even say that. Sometimes he splits it, so like Otto might play one game, Clay might play a game the next day. 
I just have no idea what he's going to do. <laughs> I don't know if Gary, so it, it's very hard because they haven't announced it. And I don't think we'll know till that day. Um, but if I, if I'm looking from like a strategic standpoint, they play Orlando the night before. I think they need to put everything into beating Orlando because I just think right now you need to get wins. So mm-hmm. I think you should play everyone <laughs> on the first night. So I just, I don't know what that heat game is going to look like. But I mean, do you agree with that from a strategic purpose? Should they be trying to like just stack up the wins that they can get right now? Or like, what would you do if you were the coach? Either one of you. Uh, I would say... I definitely follow your line of logic. Like, let's bank in the easy stuff. And Orlando has not had a good time <laughs> as of late. <laughs> Between Kyrie, Kyrie going off, and just dropping. It. It's just like, you know what? Like, let's just make this the Jordan Poole Invitational. Like, maybe this is the game that drops like forty-five or something. Right. Uh, but like, I'm with you. And then facing the Heat the next night, and the Heat are just gonna switch everything anyway without Steph. Like, I. The Warriors can make enough shots to win that game still, because I'm not sure what Jimmy Butler's availability is going to be like at this point. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like Orlando's obviously the easier option, and so I think putting your efforts into that and then resting your guys and then seeing, hey, let's get the threes up. Let's see what we can do against Miami, a team that even though they switch a lot, they still give up a ton of threes. Okay. Uh, like there's room for it to be a Bielitsa hit four threes off the bench in this game. Otto Porter shook loose a little bit. Jordan Poole baked an ISO. Like that that kind of thing can happen. So can I ask a question about Belly? Because I know, and I, I'm I'm asking Nakai a lot of questions because I know you like covered the heat or have like detail before. <laughs> so I'm not trying to like single you out, Bree. <laughs> but yeah. um or but um Belly didn't play much or he didn't play really for the Heat, right? And then he kind of came to the Warriors and at the beginning of the season looked like a revelation. And then, but now, like, we like we want him gone. We don't want him to see minutes. I, he will. <laughs> he will right now with just, like, there's just too many bodies out, so he's going to. And you just brought him up as, like, someone who could do something. So w- what are your thoughts on Belly as an addition to the Warriors? I do not think he will be in the playoff rotation, but what are your thoughts on him and then... Um, yeah, let's start there. Let's, let's start with that question. (laughs) I think that he is a nice example of how much like personnel and scheme fit, not even scheme fit, but how much personnel matters. Because I think you look at what Bielisa can do, like he can shoot threes. He's a good passer from the big man spot. Both the Heat and the Warriors run like a bunch of, bunch of like post split stuff. So like, it's not like the Warriors are doing super different things. But the Warriors also have off-the-dribble guys like Steph, Clay to an extent, like Jordan Poole, that can draw two guys to the ball and then open up the short roll stuff that Bielitsa can do. Or draw okay. extra attention to where he can just kind of spot up. In Miami, like, they don't have – they have a bunch of good players. But who draws two to the ball? Like, right. Tyler Creole is probably their best shot creator. He doesn't right. draw two. Jimmy Butler is one of the best players in the league. He doesn't draw two because of the jumper. Bam doesn't draw two consistently either. So when you get that kind of situation, it's a lot of Bielitsa to either standing around or if you are running the ball, you know, running the offense through him with like some post splits or whatever, like where are the advantages being created? So I just didn't think it was a great fit. And then defensively, we don't have to spend too much time on what he does. Right. 
So did he struggle to finish on the heat as well? Because he like never makes a layup, and I want to like pull out my hair. (laughs) Like like, literally, like I I want it. It pains me. (laughs) He, in my recollection, like he didn't get to the rim that much anyway. Okay. So, but that's kind of the thing. Like the Heat didn't have the personnel. They have good players, but they didn't have the personnel to unlock what he does offensively. And if he's not giving you plus value on offense, he's not going to do it on defense. So right. there was just no reason for him to have a major role. I see. Okay. Well, he'll probably have a role in 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 um that game. So again, I just I don't know what the the Warriors are going to do. But it sounds like you're saying like they could have a chance. Like if they get hot from three, um, and probably also they have to play really good defense that night. Um. What's going on with Jimmy? Like when you say like you're not even sure what his status may be. Um, he turned his ankle uh, a couple uh, a couple nights ago. Okay, so I didn't just, realize that. Yeah, he's supposed to be playing tonight, if I'm not mistaken. But just it's just gonna be something to watch moving forward because he's gonna be playing Philly tonight. So if he has any kind of issue against Philly, then that might be a game where Miami's like, eh, maybe not. And like with Kyle Lowry, like because. I don't know what was going on. He was just out for a number of games due to personal reasons that they weren't saying. So he's back, right? He is back, yes. And like, is he, because I see all these conversations around, is Kyle Larry giving enough? Is he doing enough? And then some, you know, it's just like the discourse is so crazy around him being on this Heat team. So, I mean, how have you felt about like Kyle Larry being on the team? And I know he was, he missed a lot, but what do you see? I think he's needed, you know, I think he's really important to what they're going to do. Um, but h- how do you view it? Like in terms of when you watch the team? Uh, like, I think he's been fine overall. Like the personal stuff just throws a lot of this out of whack. Um, so I, I think everyone should kind of give him a buffer for that. Beyond that, like I've been a little underwhelmed with him defensively this year, offensively, the way he juices the transition attack with his passing. Uh, just the way that he sets up guys, I think has been very important for their half court attack. Um, I think some of the complaints about him are warranted though. There are nights, full blown nights where he's just taking seven shots and he's not looking at the rim. It's like, okay, I understand that you're trying to get Bam involved. You're trying to get Max Struess involved. You're trying to get Duncan Robinson going. That's cool. And like, we've seen him do this before. Like a lot of Raptor fans bring up 2019, first year Kawhi was, well, the only year Kawhi was there. But where he spent a large chunk of that year, like, just playing the table setter and it's like wait why have you only taken seven shots this game why have you only taken nine shots this game why are you not looking and then the playoffs come and then he gets a little bit more aggressive so there is a little bit of conserving himself so i'm not super worried long term like i think he is going to be more aggressive in the postseason but on those random nights you kind of need him okay more aggressive so that's that's kind of been the push and pull with him do you think do you see the heat keeping their number one spot in the east uh, I think so. What do you think, Brian? I was going to agree. Yeah, I, I definitely think that he'd keep that number one spot. Milwaukee's been super inconsistent. I don't know what's going on with Philly right now. or kind of like in limbo trying to see who they really are. Um, but I definitely think that he, um, especially with Tyler Hero coming off the bench and doing what he's doing, being as productive as he has been, I think they look really, really good. Okay. Now, then the next question is, do you see them coming out the East? I don't know. Interesting, it's right? It's tough. It's really, really tough. The East is kind of confusing for me this year because yeah. 
Uh, I'm really intrigued by Boston as well. Like I said, Philly, I don't know what's going on. I really don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what they're going to look like uh, when the playoffs start. Milwaukee's been inconsistent, like I said, but Boston definitely is intriguing me. And uh, they look really good defensively, which, you know, it's always a big deal. And then uh, they can get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out and and they can get taken advantage of some of these matchups. I'm really, really worried about them. But at, like, if you ask me today, who I see coming out of the East is the Heat. Okay. As, are the Celtics a dark horse? Are they even a dark horse anymore? Because I feel like people are paying more attention to them. Are they I a dark horse? Yeah, they're a dark horse just simply because of their, their track record in the last few years. They've been disappointed when it comes to that time. But like right now, they're surging and they look really, really good. Uh, they get into the flow at a great time. So I think they're definitely a dark horse in the East right now. Who do you see coming out the East, Makayas? Because I know you've been high on the Bucks, generally yes. speaking. Are you still high on the Bucks? I am still high on the Bucks. Like, I think they're still the team that I would pinpoint, especially with Brooke Lopez coming back and also having some games to get back in rhythm. Like, he needs to find himself some threes again offensively. He just needs to find his role offensively. In the games that I've seen, like, it's been a lot of spotting up. Um, Why is he so important to them? Because on one hand, you hear people say, like, okay, so because Brooke Lopez is gone, that's why they're inconsistent. And then I also hear people say, like, Brooke Lopez is missing, and that changes a lot for them. So what? why is he so important to them? He allows the Bucks to be scheme versatile. Because he is just the size that he has and what he means to their drop defense, which is still the base of what they want to do. Like, the big change last year is that they were more willing to switch and more willing to do different things. And that helped them in the postseason when they had to go to it. But, like, 55 60% of the time, they still want to play that drop style and have Brooke at the rim. Their hallmark is they don't foul. They clean the glass. And without Brooke, it forced them to play as aggressively as they have been all year showing Brooke Lopez above the level of the screen and stuff. And, like, that worked for the first month and a half, two months of the season. And then teams are like, oh, wait, we can just kind of string this out because if Giannis is not involved, their next tallest player on the floor is Pat Connaughton. We can just kind of get to the rim now if we can pass over this. And so the defense slid. Now with Brooke back, now you can get back to what they want to do defensively to help them ends more position possessions and get out and transition more. You know what Giannis can do there. Gives them easier offense. And then once Brooke goes to the bench, then you can transition to, okay, now we're going to switch more. Now we're going to trap more. And now you can throw different looks at defense. So I think his importance shouldn't be undersold. Okay. So what about, okay, so let's talk about the East a little bit and the standings and the matchups there. So the Heat, if they were to see the Nets in um, the first round, right? Because I see a lot of people saying like, the Heat don't want to see the Nets. They don't want to see the Nets. And I'm like, why not? But okay, no, let me not be. <laughs> I get it. I get it. He's Kevin Durant. But like, to my knowledge, as of this date, Kyrie's still not playing in every game in that mm-hmm. series. Um, and I don't even want to talk about Ben Simmons. Like, I still hear Nets fans saying like, and if we get Ben back, like, I'm not factoring getting Ben back because I that, that seems unlikely just based on like everything that's being reported so I know that if the Nets the Nets are the Nets would have Kyrie for four games actually in that scenario because he can only play away games um but can they win that series versus the Heat do you think um they they absolutely could I don't think they would be my pick how likely I should say uh (laughs) 
35, 65. Okay. Oh, you're giving me actual. Okay. Yeah. You're going to break it down though. Go ahead. <laughs> like, I, I just think like I've talked a little bit like scheme stuff with these teams or whatever. Like when you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie, like what you do defensively doesn't matter as much. Like I was watching, um, I was watching Celtics Nuggets the other night and I'm just like, I don't know what you do against Boston defense. And I got flooded by net fans. Like, Oh, you just have Kevin Durant. It's just like, oh, well, we just put 120 on these guys. Like, yeah, you did. And that's what makes Kevin Durant special. It's not like they broke Boston's defense. Kevin Durant just can't be guarded. Right. That thing, that also matters. Like, the Heat can play things perfectly, and Kevin Durant can just shoot over the top. And he can win you a series that way. So, like, that possibility is very much present. Can he win you a series that way, though? Because, like, over an entire series, right? Like, so he's going to win you some games in the series. But can he win you a series? And like, so like the like the Knicks, for example, I thought gave a good example of, like he still scored, I think, what, 53 that game, but his shots came harder. He wasn't as consistent, right? Um, and so if you do that, though, over a course of a series, won't that just wear him down? I mean, I don't know, because when I, it's just when I, because the teams he's been on, right? Like there were times that he started to kind of isolate and do that a lot in Golden State. And then aside from saying like, okay, Kevin, you got to stop doing that. Um, <laughs> they they didn't have to keep playing like that, right? But mm-hmm. the Nets, they kind of have to play like that. And so that's what kind of gives me pause to say like it would be successful over a series. What do you think, Bray? I was going to agree with you. I said it's the, it's the series. And then not having Kyrie for every game, that matters. That definitely matters. You Asking Kevin Durant to go out and do that maybe six, seven times. I mean, that's that's really, really tough, uh, especially on those away games. So I, I would agree. I think taking this Heat team uh, through a whole series like that, I'm definitely picking the Heat over, over Brooklyn just because of the inconsistencies. You do have Kevin Durant, who I think can win you three games, but I don't know. I don't know that this Heat team can't figure, figure out how to slow him down over the course of a series. Yeah. yeah okay. I would – yeah, I would personally pick the Heat in that series, but like if you're asking, do they have a chance? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. How many games yeah. is it going that series? Um, I'd probably say it goes six. Okay, six is six is fair. Mm-hmm. So the Heat are probably getting a game then in Brooklyn. You think? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's with Kyrie playing. <laughs> I think they could. I'm teasing. There's only so much you can do against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but, like, if there's a coach that can scheme up some stuff, like, all right, let's jump this up. Like, when Miami beat Brooklyn a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, it right. went, like, to this 2-3 slash boxing one slash zone against KD, and he still scored. That was his first game back, and he still scored over 30 or whatever, but it was right. a lot of tough looks, and he were able to grind that out. And they were he- some guys, too, so it's just, like, they expose incredible. Like I, I was going to say, they have the coaching advantage there, definitely. Yeah. How would you grade um, <laughs> Nash's job as a coach this year? <laughs> He's had a lot to deal with, man. Like, there's some things to quibble, uh, quibble with, but, like, he's had to juggle a lot of outside noise. I guess we can phrase it like that. And he's had a lot of guys in and out of lineups with just injuries. So, like, I, like I'd give him, like, a B. Like, I think he's been fine. Okay. But with the personnel that he has, like, he's – made it work what do you think for uh i don't know if i go a b but i am a huge hawks fan so i'm gonna go uh c here uh just because like you said when it comes down to those moments where teams kind of do figure out that okay 
we can't stop Kevin Durant, but we can maybe get him some tougher shots. Steve Nash hasn't really impressed me at all down the stretch. Uh, I think he just relies on having the players. Um, that hasn't really showed me much. So definitely I was thinking in that series as well, the, the Heat just have the, uh, the coaching advantage. And uh, and a series is about adjustments. So you got seven, and those are just adjustments that Akai's name that happened in one game. So I think if you have to make adjustments for an entire series, I'm worried for Steve Nash there. So I give him a C so far. Okay. Because I always thought they actually made a mistake by um, getting rid of Kenny Atkinson, who I think is actually a really great coach. I'm happy that the Warriors have him second in command. I'm a Warriors fan who's critical of Steve Kerr, if you both don't know. So that shouldn't be news <laughs> yes. to anyone. So, um, yeah, so I thought it was like a mistake. And I I, I agree with you. I, I'd probably have him somewhere maybe like a B minus C. So I'm, I'm kind of with both of you and, and not at the same time, but um I, I you know I I think I think Kenny Atkinson knows how to do a better job with like when he's missing talent or you know maybe doesn't have like the same advantages being able to like maximize other players and I don't know that Nash knows how to do that yet maybe he will but I don't think that he does and so um those were my thoughts on them so let's talk about the Hawks let's move on to the the Hawks your your squad Brie you don't have to really <laughs> <laughs> well first, let's start with the coach because you were talking about coaches so how would you grade your coach it has been such a confusing season because last year we go through all we go through with Nate the players really come through and seem like they want to play for him like this is the guy that we wanted the whole time we figured it out and then we come this year and it's like actually just kidding this isn't who we want at all and I have my issues with his rotations and things like that I, I'll probably give Nate a C minus this year it's been very very confusing just if, if Trey's not playing hero ball it seems like we can't figure out how to win anymore um sometimes Trey comes out and he plays like he knows how to play and then sometimes he plays like he has no idea what's going on it, it seems like him and Nate are really out of touch we can't figure out people's roles on the team, which has still been a problem from last season as well. So I'll definitely give him a C minus. We just don't look. It's been a, a, a huge letdown of a year as far as our, what we thought was going to happen this year, for sure. Do you think the Hawks overachieved last year? I mean, I don't think that they're a 10th place team, which is what they are right now. Um, and I definitely feel like they're one of the teams that I kind of feel like were treated a little unfairly with the pandemic. Like, I thought that they should have had some games canceled. I didn't feel like there was a consistency in the games that the league chose to cancel versus the ones that they didn't. Like, I know what all the rules were, so I'm mm -hmm. very aware of them, but I, I did feel like they were shafted a bit. So you guys had a, a lot of other things that played into, I think, your record. But that yeah. being said, um, they still aren't playing as well as they were playing at the second half of last season and, and, and looking like the team that they were in the playoffs. So do you think that they overachieved or like, what do you think is going on? I think it was, it was kind of nuanced because there were some injuries in the East that we took, that we took advantage of. Um, so I do think we overachieved, but I think we were, we were built for that overachievement. So if Trey doesn't get hurt in that Milwaukee series, I don't know if we don't come out of the East. Like I really oh, don't. Man. Yes. I really felt like we had the momentum in that series. I felt like we had figured Milwaukee out after he got hurt. I think things went downhill from there. Um, but as far as coming in this year, I feel like our all sense of direction was just lost. It seems like we had somewhat of an identity that we wanted to figure out last at the end of the last year. It seems like, okay, we got these guys in. This is our core right now. We made some extra signings. 
let's try to figure out who we are as a team. And then it doesn't translate to the court this year. We have no idea what our identity is. We're not going to play any good defense at all. We're not killing people on the boards. Like we just have no idea where we want to start. So I think, I don't know what happens this off season, um, but with John Collins out right now and probably for the future with, he got two separate injuries, I think. Um, I really don't know what this season looks like. If we can stay in the play in cool. I don't see us winning two games though. Like it's, Okay. It's been tough. It's been really tough. That was going to be my next question because I think they're going to be a play-in team because, I mean, I think Knicks are the next team and they're they're like maybe four or five games behind, but um, you don't think that they can win two games. So no, We had a really nasty loss to Charlotte the other night. And I yeah. was just, it was just disheartening because these are some of the play-in teams that we're going to be playing. And to see us not be able to figure it out and just kind of fall apart toward the end like we do is is discouraging. So I definitely do see us. I think we'll stay in the play-in for sure, but I don't see us uh, winning two games. Okay. All right. So um, what are your thoughts on on the Hawks this year? And also, I want to know what you both think about those comments that Trey made at the beginning of the season. You know which ones I'm talking about. Yeah. Where he was kind of like, you know, you coming off like, you know, you make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't want to like misquote him, but just like this idea that like, you know, they went there. And so now like guys are not as motivated, like, yeah. motivated it was wild to me because I'm just like wait that was like the first time y'all were in the playoffs and you didn't yeah. even make it so I could go back like, and like <laughs> take the words out of his mouth myself <laughs> because that's all I hear now that people are talking about like, look at our record and they say but didn't Trey say that you guys are kind of and I'm just like yeah we did but that that's what I'm saying like it felt like we had a false identity we were riding off like some false hope last year we kind of built ourselves up on the idea that okay we're coming together at the right time we have to do that over the course of an 82 game season. And it, what you do matters throughout that season um, as we're about to see when we get in these playing games. So I think, I think that was a lack of maturity on his part, which I do wish we had, you know, we have veteran players on our team, but I don't know if we have one that speaks directly to a point guard, like you, like you need to speak to your franchise point guard. Uh, so I think that was immaturity on his part. Um, we're still young. I don't know if our young guys are doing, I don't know if they're, if they're prepared to go through that 82 game season grind, I don't know if they're willing to watch the film that's necessary for them to make adjustments in a playoff series. That'll help them win. I think we got, like I said, hot at the last time, hot at the right time last year, but I don't know if we have the mental fortitude or the identity. I keep saying the word identity because we don't have one. We don't know who we are as a team and it's going to be hard to, you know, the Grizzlies have that grit and that grind. They're going to talk to you. All these other younger teams are coming up with, and you kind of know who they are. You get a sense of who they want to be. And we just don't have that at all. And I put that on the coach a lot. Okay. And do you think like Trey's an effective leader? Like, I don't know much about that locker room, but do his teammates respond to him? I think, um, I think Trey's a better leader by performance than he is by like vocally. I think um, I think he's still young. I th- think he still needs some direction. Um, and I think we can tell that just by the comments that he made to the press, a veteran point guard, even if that's how you're feeling, you, you won't say that out loud to the rest of the league. Um, but I think uh, I think it's going to take him some time. I think we find ourselves in positions a lot where it's like, OK, we're only going to win this game if Trey scores 40. And I feel like he thinks that as well. And it translates to the floor. And, you know, sometimes we win those games, but a lot of times we don't. And um, I think I think it's going to take some time for him to grow, but he is uh, he is our franchise point guard. He has the ability to be that leader. I just think it's going to take some maturity on his part, and I don't know how that's gonna I don't know how that's gonna happen. 
to be honest. You guys did have an impressive win over the Grizzlies the other night. Um, yeah, and that's what's so confusing about us because we'll have impressive wins against the Grizzlies and then we'll come back and play Charlotte and just completely fall apart. And it's just like, all right, like, what are we, are we trying to put something together here or are we just going out just to play these games? Like, it's hard to tell. Right. Um, Nakai's thoughts on the Hawks? Um, I just called them both the Gwinnett County Hawks and the Cobb County Hawks on the last podcast. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of done. Like, I, I'm glad Bree brought up the identity because I think the identity that was lost was on the defensive side of the ball. Like, we already knew what they were doing offense. Like, Trey is his own, he's an offense onto himself. Defensively is really where they took the leap last year mm-hmm. and that carried through in the postseason. And once you get yet another season of DeAndre Hunter missing time, and you get Clint Capella, who was coming into the season, basically working himself back in the rhythm based on the prior injuries. And then he just has not looked good this year. No. Like that's that's the that's probably the big thing for the Hawks this year. Like he held up, he was a all defensive team candidate last year because of what he did as a rim protector. He hasn't been close to that. And because of that, you have him kind of lumbering. You have Trey Young at the point of attack, and we know what Trey does on yes yeah and so it's do you have hunter in and out of the lineup like for all the offense awards that camp reddish has offensively like he does provide some perimeter defense for you even though that slipped last year too but whatever um they just haven't been able to find answers on defense and so trey needs to score 40 because they're giving up the points on the other end right and i'm glad we brought the charlotte game too because i watched the one from last wednesday where the Hornets were like, all right, cool. We're just going to trap Trey every play. Right. Let's see what these other guys can do. Right. They knock down shots and they couldn't make decisions. And Charlotte basically torched them down the stretch of that game too. And it's just like, okay, well, if Trey can't get going and he's out of rhythm and you can't get stops, what are you as a team? And so it just, it's been a frustrating watch as a, as someone that generally enjoys watching Atlanta. I've been Mr. ABO on the podcast or whatever. Like, it's just, it's been a frustrating watch for me this year. So I feel like um, regardless, like I can just see teams planning to trap Trey, like just as a scheme in general going forward, like would it help him to add some kind of off ball elements to his game or more of one? Um, I don't see it as much, but I don't watch a lot of Hawks games admittedly. So I don't know. So what, what do you, what do you guys think about that? And can he, I don't, I just, I don't know his skill set like that. I'm not confident in the people around him handling the ball to give him the opportunity to play off ball, to be honest. Like, like the guys were saying in that Charlotte game, we weren't really impressed with the decision-making of the others. And we have, we have a lot of offensive minded guys, uh, but I don't know if we just have like people who can just go out and create shots for themselves. Bogey has been super inconsistent this year. Um, and I don't really trust his playmaking as far as when Trey's being trapped or, you know, if he's swinging him the ball. I don't know. I don't trust his decision-making that much. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm not really confident in the. I'm sure he could develop a, a, a an off ball part of his game if he saw it fit, but I don't know. I don't know if I trust the others to enable him to do that. Okay, because and I I don't want this conversation to go in a direction that it could because like these were similar talking points to Luca, right? Yeah. Um, and he clearly trusts Spencer now, right? So mm-hmm. that was the thing. But like Brunson was always there before, and they have like a dynamic now too. But I mean, last year when people said, well who is he going to pass it to? Like, he doesn't have anybody. And I kind of always pushed back because I thought Brunson was someone, but 
whatever nonetheless the the like because I think there's this idea that like Trey has this much better team right Mm -hmm. um and what you're telling me is like he has some offensive players and maybe some of them are better but there's still a lot of things that they're lacking which makes it hard on Trey so like what like how do the Hawks um solve for that I think I think what's missing is the player DeAndre Hunter. He hasn't looked how we thought he was gonna look this year, and that's kind of uh, as Nakai has brought up. We mentioned uh, we traded away Cam Reddish uh, because they were kind of similar players, but Cam did bring that defensive uh, you know presence to the ball. We were really really banking on uh, on DeAndre bringing that as well. You know we had aspirations of him playing one through four. That doesn't look like it's gonna be able to happen. He doesn't look comfortable at the four at all, especially defensively. Um, so I think, uh, I think for us to, to figure out how to become that team that we all think thought we were going to be, um, I really don't know. I really don't know what it is for the Hawks. There's just so many things going wrong, but we have to buy in defensively. Like we have to decide that we want to play defense. You can tell there's no effort. Some nights we're just not even trying as hard as we should be. And we can't even, you know, we can't put that on Trey and shot making. Cause like Nikaias has said, we know what Trey does on defense. So that's just the rest of our six, five through six, 10 roster, just not coming to play, not trying to crash the boards or anything like that. So I think it has to come with, do we want to be, do we want to do the things that we don't want to do? Like we clearly don't want to defend. We clearly don't want to rebound. If one day they wake up and they want to do those things, we can have a different conversation. Okay. Anything to add to that, Makaias? Nah, she nailed it. They, okay. It's just <laughs> like, I generally hate the, you know, defense's effort because there's so much that goes into defense, but like, a lot of the Hawks stuff is effort-based and yeah. that falls on the head coach to a degree, but also like these are grown millionaires. Like you got to like box out and make rotations. Like, you know what you're supposed to do. Right. All right. So the, the Warriors are going to play the Hawks um, on Thursday. I have a little more hope for us in this game. Although, you know, Trey, Trey will still be the best player on the court. But because of their inconsistency, I think that gives the Warriors a chance in this game, even if it is without Steph. And I think for this whole stretch, they have to lean into defense, the Warriors. I mean, having Jordan Poole now as a second shot creator is a godsend to the Warriors because I don't think people really realize. People, I don't want to disrespect Clay because people would be like, you have Clay Thompson without acknowledging like Clay's limitations, right? You know, like, Clay is not a guy we want putting the ball on the floor and 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 creating for himself or others. And so Jordan Poole just adds such another dimension to this team. So I think they have a chance versus the Hawks, but I just don't know. So what do you expect to see in that matchup? And then we can um, wrap after this. Uh, oh, you can take it. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I think uh, I think the Golden State definitely has a chance. Like we've just been so inconsistent that there's really no no telling what team will show up. Um, and so I think if you guys come out and crash the boards hard, you guys defend like you can. Um, I can't necessarily say I'm confident in our ability to stop people like Jordan Poole coming off the dribble. Uh, I would hope I would hope that we could. But yeah, I think I think Golden State definitely has a chance. Um, I think the Hawks, uh, I think for us to have a chance, we got to first of all, make shots. I think if Trey comes out and gets uh, gets going early, we get him in some pick and rolls early. He gets others involved. I think we have a good shot. Um, but we're gonna have to play some defense and hope Golden State doesn't doesn't make shots because uh you guys tend to do that a lot against us so we'll see do we i I, I didn't look up the matchup data between them in the past but we don't um, play any defense so you'll you know you'll probably have better luck than you do against anybody else 
I would feel better if that was a home game, but because it's not, it makes me a little nervous. Um, The Warriors have to do some more to get Andrew involved. I don't know if either of you saw the game last night versus the Spurs because it wasn't like a TV game, but um, like they were down, they got back in the game. Some fluky stuff happened at the end. They did lose, but you know, Andrew, like Jordan Poole played well. Dre got kicked out of the game. Um, (laughs) That was frustrating for me. Like, I feel like with Steph out, you have to like keep your cool, you know, like you get the first tech, you got to like chill and stop chirping. And, you know, refs were not hearing it last night. So that was a big loss. Um, But Andrew has to be key during this stretch. And unlike Poole, who is more aggressive, can create for himself, the Warriors have to actually look to get, you know, Wiggins involved, you know, or he's going to kind of just be there, you know? And so um, if they do that, I think, you know, cause he's actually been good sometimes in like his, his post-ups and so, mm-hmm. and, and um, being able to like handle those, you know, like seeking out his mismatches and Andrew's actually a great cutter. Like people don't talk about it a lot, but he is. And so there are definitely some opportunities there. And then like, you can definitely put him on defense, right? So um, to, to guard Trey and, and we'll see what else they're going to do. I don't know if GP2 will be back for that game. He would be really huge for us if he was. So um, they have some chances there as well if they're making their shots. Like you said, they have to be hitting their shots, but I think they will be able to lean into defense and with Dre on the floor, that will be like a big, big help in that game. What are your thoughts on that potential matchup, Nakaez? Um, I think this is a pretty solid one for the Warriors because we're talking about them getting their offense in flow without Steph. Like, the Hawks are fine to kind of get those kind of reps. And, like, just for <laughs> – sorry, Bree. But um, for, <laughs> We are not going to stop you. Like, it's just kind of is what it is. And then I'm just going to watch, like, how the matchups are doled out. If you do have Jordan Poole, Clay, and Wiggins on the floor at the same time, like, the Hawks only have so many big wings that you trust defensively. Like, if Hunter's there, like, he's only going to guard one of those guys. Exactly. And then from there, like, Kevin Herter is a – he's a sneaky, solid defender. Like, but even then, depends on who you're putting him on. Like, if he's chasing Clay around, that could get a little tricky. And if you're putting him on Andrew Wiggins, like, as you mentioned about the post-up, like, Kevin Herter's a pretty strong dude, so, like, Andrew Wiggins should be able to establish positioning. So, like, I this could be a get-right game for the offense and for Andrew in particular. A get-right game. That's exactly what it's going to be. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. Like we have a chance to like get some confidence under us. Let's go grab a win real quick and uh, be all right. But oh, maybe the Hawks surprise me. I don't know. I don't know who's going to show up. So we'll see. Yeah. I don't know what to think of that game, but I think either team can win. I don't think, I think either team can win. So, um, all right. So what are you two working on? Cause we're about to wrap and um, what should the people be looking out for and let them know where they can find you. Absolutely. Uh, I'm working on my second piece for The Athletic, so stay tuned for that. But uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at Bree underscore Singleton. That's B-R-E underscore Singleton. And follow the nonprofit at Free Game Program uh, as well. Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you for being on. It's been so great talking with you. You see, y'all, she's a brilliant mind. Told you. (laughs) (laughs) She's great, man. Bree's great. Um written word at basketballnews.com um you late with jasmine l watkins every monday wednesday and friday the dunker spot every tuesday and friday um we're going to have some pretty fun news coming out of the dunker spot soon so keep an eye out for that uh other than that thanks for having me
Oh, thank you for being on. Seriously, I really appreciate it. All right, guys. So you know to do follow if you're not already following. Um, also, subscribe to All Nat. Follow All Nat. Leave me some ratings. Five stars, please. You do. <laughs> and also check out um, these other podcasts. Like I learned so much basketball information from Nakayas. Like he really is a, a great teacher when it comes to the game. So you really should read his work and listen to him. I learned so much about basketball from him and Bree, um, I love your work too. I really do your writing. And I also like the WNBA coverage that you give and giving that perspective from as someone who played. So um, check out these two people really, you guys will be better for it. All right guys, until next time, take care.